Hello, welcome, good evening. Welcome to a special edition of Atlas Live. Special in that you might call this our Christmas edition, our Christmas live stream, which feels ever so slightly strange to say. We've seen a number of different YouTubers present sort of a Christmas specials, if that's the right expression for that. And we'll be talking a little bit about Christmas specials tonight, why they exist, for example, what makes them so special, what is it about this time of year which has such resonance for so many different faiths, for so many different religions, for so many different spiritual paths, and even non-spiritual paths, astronomically, astrologically. There's something about this time of year which has been special to just about every culture and every period of time since the dawn of time. And the specialness of this time of year is probably most relevant or most immediately identifiable when one looks up into the sky, the starry night of the winter solstice. And here we have a, uh, you've probably seen this meme floating around on the internet. And while it is true that we go through the shortest day and thus the longest night, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, on or around the time leading up to the uh, 25th of December, this is not, it may be representative in astronomical terms, the birth of the sun that takes place every year. And Orion's belt called the three kings and Sirius the star in the east, etc., etc. Our personal experience of these events and the Christ force, the Christ energy entering into the planet were of a different nature than just as simple as reducing it to an astronomical event or an astrological event, don't even know, not even sure what the best correct term is. It's surely astronomical. 
our experience of this event was the involvement of three wise men, three kings in modern parlance. And our experience of the star in the east There was only one star in the sky. All the other stars vanished. And what star that was? Was it Polaris? Was it Sirius? We honestly don't know. But there was only one star in the sky. And all the other stars vanished. And the events around this occurrence and our experience of it were as much related to the death and resurrection of Christ as they were to his birth. So the mysteries of this time of year are not entirely related to this time of Year because the events that we experienced took place on the 24th of August, not December. And astrologically, there is a procession of equinoxes and this occurrence takes place at different times of the year, depending on the age in which we are in. It just so happens that the astrological or so astronomical phenomenon that's depicted in this meme here is conducive and representative of the events which we experienced, for example. In other words, it's analogous to those events. But just because something is analogous to something else doesn't mean that one is derivative of the other. That the two things represent the same thing and that one is an elaboration of the other. That one preceded the other and therefore the event only refers to the one thing. And that all subsequent expressions must be related to that one thing, i.e. the astronomical occurrence of the winter solstice. No. The astronomical occurrence of, winter, of the winter solstice is analogous to what we experienced. the return of Christ to the world and the signs and the symbols and also the descent into hell. Or the preparation for that anyway. Or basically, the Bodhisattva basically awaits for his death. But the return of the Christ, the return of the Logos, 
was indicated by these signs. And yes, the winter solstice is analogous. We all know what those symbols are, the, the star in the east, but that star in the east was relative to the three wise men. Well, the star in the east, because, of course, rises in the east, our experience of it, was from our perspective it was really right overhead could we say it was in the east or the north or the south or the west when when all the other stars in the sky vanish and there's but one star it's like direction doesn't matter anymore and it was one star directly overhead and there was no other stars in the sky. So that star in the east, is it an embellishment or is it simply a representation of a new day, a new dawn? Because the sun rises in the east. So surely the star indicating the birth of Christ, the arrival of the Christ in the world, must be an Eastern star. Or again, it could simply be the perspective of whoever was reporting the event for the first time. We couldn't say definitively, was the star in the East or not? It was certainly not on the horizon in any way, shape or form. It was directly above. Our experience of these symbols was very profound and in many ways led to the creation of these live streams. And it's related to our work here and our devotion, our dedication to the Logos, to the Christ. <clears throat> the Christ has returned to the world. This world has descended into hell. And Christ has returned to awaken and to save, to, to release souls, monads, trapped in hell. And surely that is at least partly well, that's not part, that's mainly what these live streams are about, is helping monads, helping individuals to find their way via the path out of suffering, off the wheel of samsara, out of hell. Despite the fact that the events occurring around us, the circumstances of this planet whatever they may be that we be able to endure them and continue focusing on our own individual awakening our own individual development and if it is part of our path to assist others in awakening 
and assisting others on their path, then so be it. But it's not everybody's path to do so. For many of us, it's difficult enough working on ourselves, let alone worrying about everybody else. For many of us, we have a, a, an uphill battle. We have a lot of suffering, a lot of causes of suffering, a lot of difficulties, a lot of challenges. <clears throat> that said, if there is something that we find beneficial, we, that we find useful, that we find helpful, then in the spirit of giving, in the spirit of sharing, which again is part of this spirit at this time of year, this Christmas spirit, this gift giving, the three kings, the three wise men who come bearing gifts to the Christ. Now we've described this already in the past where these three wise men represent our three brains, our heart, our mind, our body, our physical body, that those are the gifts that we need to bring to the newborn Christ. Uh, yeah. But the relationship between Christmas and Easter is intimate. One of the aspects of the Christmas story, the Christian Christmas story, that is, the, the story of the nativity, is that Jesus and Mary had to go to Bethlehem to for the annual census. They had to they had to travel there for 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 an accounting. And they couldn't find any room in the inn because everybody was going to Bethlehem to take part in this in this census in this in this 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 accounting. So all they could find room in is, was, was a manger. And the manger is like a stable full of animals, farm animals, domesticated animals. And according to the story, it was above the manger that the star appeared in the sky. And it was there that the Christ, the baby Jesus, was born. The Christ was born among the animals. The Christ was born in the manger of our animal mind, our animal heart, 
our animal body. Christ is born among the animals. And it's a manger because it's not a hotel. It's not an inn. It's not a place of comfort and security. The Christ is not born in a place of comfort and security. It is born among the animal egos within us. And this puts the story of the, of the nativity and the story of the birth of Christ directly in relationship to the crucifixion of Christ. Because the crucifixion of Christ, of course, is the death of the man, of the animal, upon the cross, upon the cross of sexual alchemy. Sexual alchemy. The story of the Christ right, is, is, is not the story of a man. Christ is not a person. Christ is a force in the universe which true human beings can embody if, if they become wise men and bring their gifts to the newborn Christ which is born among the animal egos. We must be like those wise men who bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, frankincense is incense that you burn to, to smudge and to cleanse the space. Myrrh as a bitter brown gum resin, we believe has a similar properties, but we don't know that 100% sure. We, we've never used myrrh. We've never bought myrrh. We've never practiced with myrrh. We just know it's a bitter brown gum resin. That's what myrrh is. It does have value to it. had value to it. Presumably, its value is similar to that of frankincense, but we don't know that for sure. You can do your own research and find that out. As for gold, gold here, we're not talking about physical gold. We're talking about the gold which is created through alchemy, the alchemical process. The golden bodies, the solar bodies. So, whereas we know frankincense is a cleansing agent and it's something that you burn and gold is related to the golden bodies, the solar bodies. Those two at least refer to the alchemical process of working with the fires, the sexual fires, to cleanse the body of ego and transform the lead of ego into the gold of the human soul.
And then, like a wise man, delivering that gold to the Christ as a gift. Because in order to embody the Christ, we must offer ourselves up as a servant and as a vessel. As all of the personages in all of these religions and spiritual traditions and mythologies did. Jesus, Krishna, Quetzalcoatl, Wodan, Fuji, Buddha, Zeus. These were all real people who became wise men. They created their, they eliminated their ego through suffering and through alchemy, through comprehension and elimination, incineration of their ego. They cleanse themselves. And through transmutation and sexual alchemy, they created their golden bodies, their solar bodies. And the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, followed by the rebirth of the sun, astronomically speaking, after three days, again, relates directly to this event that we typically honor and celebrate at Easter, the death and resurrection of Christ. So we are born again in the waters and the spirit. The Christ is born inside of us, again, among our animal egos. as a spark, as a seed, as our innermost intimate Christ, an essence, but it is just a seed, it is just a spark. It must be nurtured, it must be cultivated. Again, we must be like the wise men. We must lend our minds and our hearts and our body in service but more than just in service, in sacrifice, as a gift, we must give away all that we are to our innermost intimate Christ. This, if we really, really feel into this, meditate, but really deep dive 
into this whole gift-giving concept. Gift-giving today has become obviously very commercialized and very, well, look, we don't need to tell you what it's become. You know what it's become. But think to what you have that's up until now you've thought of as yours and comprehend what it means to give that away, to truly give it away. And whom would you give it to? Who is worthy of such a gift? This is not to be taken lightly. Forget about all the other gift-giving traditions around this time of year and, you know, shopping on Amazon and Black Friday and, you know, whatever, and chocolates and, and, and all the rest of it, gift baskets and alcohol and, you know, all the other jewelry and all the other typical Christmassy type gifts that people give one another this time of year. And really feel into what it means to give what up until now has been your most precious possession. What you have felt, what you have believed was yours. And what does it mean to give to really give of yourself. And what does it mean to give yourself? And who is deserving of that? And you look to the saints, we look to the great archetypal heroes we look to those whom those whom we hold in highest esteem and highest regard and we view them in a mythical way because surely that's not for everyone surely that's not for me i could never do that And yet, that is precisely what is called for when we are called to work with the metaphysical science of the cosmic Christ. If you wish the Christ to be born inside of you, If you long for the cosmic Christ, the resplendent ray of rays, the fire of fires, the light of lights, and the love of loves, the being of beings, to fill your temple 
and through your temple fill the world with its resplendence. Then you must be willing to give away all that you believe is currently yours. That's what it means to give a gift. You don't get that gift back. To give your mind, your heart, your body to the Christ. That newborn seed, that spark of the Logos that's there born within the animal egos of your mind, of your heart, of your body. There it is. You feel it inside. Are you or are you not going to be a wise man, wise woman, wise person? Are you or are you not going to follow the star and deliver to the Christ the gifts of your mind, heart, and body and give them away, give them to your innermost intimate Christ? One very quickly realizes if one meditates on this, if one visualizes, if one feels into this process in any sort of meaningful way, that this is not some frivolous activity. This is not some token gesture. It is certainly no kind of sentimentality or empty ritual. And perhaps more significantly, one realizes that this act, this gesture of true faith is far beyond anything that most spiritual seekers and light workers and star seeds and rainbow children have in their consciousness. And if you really consider this and what this means, you will come up against an obvious and tremendous, forceful, and oh-so-rational resistance And herein lies 
that mystery which we shed light upon in the advertisement for tonight's live stream that quote from master samael which loosely paraphrased goes though christ may though christ may be born a thousand times in bethlehem it is all for naught if he if the christ is not born within us But if we put to you the, the proposition for the Christ to be born and to be nurtured and to be realized within requires us to give all of ourselves to the Christ to our innermost intimate Christ. You know the resistance. Everyone's resistance is going to be a little bit different. So now, again, Christmas, this act of Christ being born, this act of these wise men giving their gifts to the Christ so that the Christ can be born now expands out. It stretches out to encapsulate the whole of Christ's ministry, the whole of the story of Jesus, extending all the way through his ministry through to his throwing the moneylenders out of the temple, ejecting them from the temple with righteous vehemence, with severity, with prejudice, ejecting the moneylenders from the temple. And for that, he was deemed dangerous, a radical, and ultimately a threat. In other words, a revolutionary. For the Christ to be born inside of us requires us to be no less revolutionary no less severe upon the moneylenders that are within our temple. Those oh so clever, oh so calculating, oh so popular, oh so charming, oh so rational moneylenders that trade in the currency Of our metaphysical being our consciousness our vital energy and indeed our karma which we talked about last time when we talked about negotiating karma but unfortunately these money lenders 
like all money lenders, they promise, they lend something, but always with interest. In other words, whatever it is that they're, whatever it is you get from a money lender, you can you you can rest assured you will always have to pay it back with interest. Which means what a money lender gives you is always essentially a fraud. They are they are not lending you their resources. They're not the egos are not giving you pleasure out of the goodness of their heart. They're not giving you comfort out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing so so that they can take from you that which you possess with interest. So they can own you. Much is said about the global banksters and fiat currency and how it's a giant Ponzi scheme and how the world is living under this tremendous weight of debt, which the whole thing is this fraud that has been perpetrated by a small number of individuals, a small number of families, let's say, a dynasty or, or, or a handful of dynasties. Where do you think they got that idea from? As above, so below, as within, so without. There are so many phenomena out in the world which are analogs of what is taking place inside of us metaphysically, psychologically. Perhaps you have heard of something called malware, which infects computer systems. And perhaps you have heard of a specific kind of malware known as ransomware, where a computer virus will go in and seize control of a computer system and lock it up and encrypt all the data, which means whoever owns the computer system and needs access to that data has now effectively lost everything. And they can't access the computer system and they can't do their work or they can't get access to their research or they can't get access to their uh, customer files or whatever, because we're so reliant on computers these days, it could be a million different possibilities why someone would need access to their computer. Just look to your own life. What would happen if someone came by tomorrow and put a padlock on your computer, essentially, and then held your computer ransom? This is what ransomware is. And unless this company pays the ransom to the hackers, they won't release the code, the, the, the decryption key, which will allow the computer to become decrypted and allow it to be used again by, by its owners. It's known as ransomware. It's a very real phenomenon. Where do you think they got the idea for that? 
Where do you think they got the idea for fiat currencies? Where do you think they got the idea for um, credit cards and 29% interests and, and, all, and all the rest of it, loan sharking and all the rest of it? All of that exists in the world because that's exactly how egos manipulate us from within and, and enslave us from within. If you have never seen or read Faust, it's right there. I mean, for well over 100 years, I mean, the, the notion of selling one's soul to the devil or being in, the, being in Satan's debt, right? Making a deal with the devil. These, all of these tropes exist and they exist in literature and they exist in mythology and they exist in religions and scriptures. After all, Jesus being tempted in the desert, Satan comes and says, look, I will make you a lord of all the world. Just kneel down before me. And we've, perhaps not all, but we've certainly experienced that. We've certainly experienced what that's like. In a very visceral, meaningful way. And everyone experiences it in one form or another. Not everyone recognizes that they are being tested that way they're going through such an ordeal and many 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 countless people go through such ordeals completely asleep and they fall hook line and sinker into debt into metaphysical indebtedness they sell well the expression sell out. The expression sell out is a modern contemporary euphemism for one who has sold their soul to the devil. Yes, they might have a life of comfort and security. They might have a good job. They might have the 2.5 kids. They might have the two car garage. And they might even have two or three cars. And all the, you know, all the, they might have everything. But at what cost? We referenced some different films and one of the films that we referenced was uh, Die Hard. Now, you might find this humorous or perhaps a little strange, we don't know, but it's, people consider this to be a Christmas movie. 
many people consider Die Hard to be a Christmas movie. It is a movie about a band of high-class, sophisticated thieves out to rob a high-rise building called Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. And the New York police officer who finds himself in the middle of that heist. And he finds himself out, outnumbered, outmanned, outgunned, and completely out of his depth. However, he rises to the challenge. He rises to this Christmas challenge. <laughs> and it's interesting because the thieves are very sophisticated. They're very clever. They're high-tech. They know what they're doing. They're smart. And their leader, Hans Gruber, who was played by Alan Rickman, that was his breakout role, and probably one of the greatest film villains ever put on film, is charismatic, he's suave, he's calm, he's cool, he's collected, he's in control. Whereas Bruce Willis's character is this, is a dumpster fire. He's this whirling ball of chaos. He, he has, he's completely out of his depth. But there is something so archetypal about this film that people connect with. And it only takes place at Christmas time. And yet, people so desperately want to associate this with Christmas and make this an annual Christmas tradition of watching Die Hard. Now, is it coincidental that it takes place in Nakatomi Plaza, which is a, a tower, a skyscraper, a high-rise? Is there a relationship between Nakatomi Plaza and the Tower of Babel? Or the tower from the, the Tarot? There is something very archetypal about that tower. And a tower that gets blown up several times in several different ways. It's also interesting that the tower is still under construction. It's not, it's not complete. It's not, the tower is not complete yet. But the thieves come. But they are suave. 
and sophisticated thieves. These are not dumb thieves. They're far more intelligent, sophisticated, and prepared than poor old Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis undertakes a one-man rebellion against the thieves, against the police, because if you remember the film, he ends up in, ar in an argument with the local Los Angeles police that are telling him to stay out of their business. And he's like, listen, you guys aren't doing anything. I'm doing all the work. Don't tell me what to do. I'm the one stuck inside here. I'm doing all the work. It's, it's a very, very, very – in addition to being a, a riotous, entertaining, mindless action flick, because it is also that. It is a tremendous archetypal expression of the book of Job and the crucifixion of Christ. Because Bruce Willis goes through a kind of hell. And he goes through a kind of a death and a rebirth. The title of the film is Die Hard, which is a double entendre. Die hard means both hard to die, hard to kill, but it also means to die hard. If you're going to die, die hard. Don't die easy. Don't die in comfort and security. Don't die in the inn. Die on the cross die in the manger because when you die hard what is born inside of you is that much stronger what is born inside of you can conquer any opposition any adversary even ones who are who are far greater in number, far greater in intelligence, far greater in sophistication, far greater in preparation. Put another way, if we, because every heroic story, every heroic journey, involves the transformation of the hero, kind of a death and rebirth of the hero. And he returns and the world has changed because he has changed. And that process of going through hell, that process of dying and allowing our inner hero, our inner heroism, to come through and work through us to win the day.
to defeat the adversary is the secret to why those three kings are so wise to give their most precious gifts to the newborn Christ. For our part, we made zero preparation for tonight's talk. Zero. None of these live streams would exist if we had not given the gift of our mind and our heart and our body to our innermost intimate Christ. We are here, and many times on these live streams, we have been here dying hard, completely unprepared, completely unqualified, completely out of our depth, facing in, from the point of view of a mere mortal, insurmountable odds. But what has come through us has been able to meet that challenge each and every time. And we have been surprised as a result. We have surprised ourselves because whether we did some preparation or not, what what comes out during these live streams is always new to us always because it's coming through us not from us but it can only come through us because we've given our gifts to the Christ, to the Logos, to the Source. That is the sacrifice that a hero makes, that Bruce Willis makes. That is the great rebellion that he makes. And that what, that's what allows him and gives him the power and the strength to endure and, and prevail in the great rebellion, the great revolutionary act that he has to go through in Nakatomi Tower against the thieves, against the terrorists, in spite of the police outside and in spite of the FBI, who are all just pawns in Hans Gruber's game. And it's Bruce Willis who has to who somehow completely unprepared, completely, right? He's totally unequipped. 
but somehow it's that it's that that magical something that comes through him that allows him to rise to the challenge and face that challenge people might not register it this way but this is what makes die hard a christmas movie this is why they insist it's a christmas movie because christmas is about that we don't have an image but we all know the story of the Grinch who stole Christmas. We, we imagine everyone has, has seen it or has, or at the very least they've uh, read the book. see all right we'll just throw up a an image here just so it's just so we have something here to reference okay this might not be the image of the Grinch that you remember but this is the cover of the book the original book the cartoon version was drawn by Chuck Jones, who was the famous Looney Tunes animator. And here again, we have a story where, but in this case, it's a story of transformation. It's a story of death and rebirth. It's a story of Christmas because Christmas, anything related to the Christ, anything related to the Christ is about death and birth and sacrifice. As sure as the Christ, the cross is about the law of three, positive, negative, and union of positive and negative on the cross. The, the three factors of birth, death, and sacrifice are intimately related to the Christ. Any Christmas story is about that. Every Christmas story is about that. Birth, death, and sacrifice. We can look to, well, let's stick with the Grinch. We all know the cartoon, or at least we're going to assume we all know the book or the cartoon because it's famous. It's, it's absolutely, it's something that children around the world waited for with bated breath each and every year to watch the Chuck Jones directed narrated by Bor uh, Boris Karloff 
I'm sure in other places around the world it was dubbed and narrated by the other by other actors, but in English it was narrated by Boris Karloff. And with Chuck Jones's absolute genius animation and directorial and his experience working with the Looney Tunes and everything else, he brought the Grinch to life in a way that to this day, we'll get choked up just thinking about that scene. You know the scene we're talking about. When he's stolen everything out of the village and he's up on the top of the mountain, victorious. He has canceled Christmas. He has managed to make Christmas go away for the Who's and Whoville. And there will be no noise and there will be no... You know, he's, he's, he, he succeeded. And then out come the Who's from Whoville around the tree and they all hold hands and they start, they form a chain around the tree and they start singing. Now who doesn't get choked up every time Even think about that. Just visualize that. Imagine that. And then the Grinch has this miraculous, transformative moment. And his heart grows three times bigger. And, and well, we know the story. Why hasn't Christmas fully embraced or fully appreciated or fully connected the two stories of Easter and Christmas? They're one story. It's one archetype. It's one narrative. For the Christ to be born inside of us, sacrifice and death must be present. Shall we blame the Catholic Church for separating the two? for editing the and reorganizing the 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 gospels and making a point of saying well we have to have one story talking about Christ being born and another story talking about his death and resurrection so this process of of death and sacrifice and rebirth is ongoing it's a constant ongoing process it's the alm of life which we've talked about many times 
It's moment by moment, day by day. Yes, sure, the winter solstice, astronomically, every year represents, astronomically, an analog to that. But that's not what it's about. It's also not about what happened in Bethlehem, 2000 and, well, 2000 years ago, 2021 years ago, I guess. It's not about that. It's, it never was about that. Any more than the story of Mithras or Wodan or Fuji or Krishna or Quetzalcoatl or any of the other Christs. Their story is about you and I. It's one story that applies to everyone. It applies to the Grinch. It applies to Ebenezer Scrooge. If we want to talk about Christmas stories, how can we leave out? How can we leave out the tale of Scrooge? Who, very much like the Grinch, loves what he loves. And he doesn't love Christmas. But then he's visited by three ghosts, three spirits, let's say. Not ghosts, spirits he's visited by. Spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, and the spirit of Christmas future. But three Three spirits. And they bring to Scrooge their gifts. And what are the gifts that they bring Scrooge? if not the gift of knowledge, the vision, the visions, gnosis, enlightenment, awakening. But three, this number three, that's so important. The creative law of three and the three factors, birth, death, and sacrifice. And Scrooge gets to see his own death. And not only his death, but he gets to see the death of Tiny Tim. And so, in the experience of that, it's like when Samael says we can learn very, diff very little from the phenomenon of birth, but from death we can learn everything. So when we 
have a vision of the future and we see the aftermath of our own death, what have we wrought? It can bring us tremendous comprehension, tremendous transformation. And Scrooge dies. He, he experiences this cathartic transformation. The old Scrooge dies and a new Scrooge is born. Who goes to Cratchit and his family and, and transforms their Christmas and transforms their lives. Because he is transformed. It's just like the Grinch. He's transformed. This is what makes these Christmas stories. Because every Christic story must embody the nature of the Christ itself. It is Christ's nature to die, to sacrifice, and to be reborn of the ashes. The Christ is the fire of fires. Because the Christ is The Christ is the Phoenix. This is the Christ. This is the Christ. Let's take some... Um, comments here because you've been very patient uh we know you've been making comments and if you see us adjusting ourselves it's because for whatever reason our one of our legs has fallen asleep and um we're just trying to adjust <laughs> ourselves in the chair to so that the pins and needles don't cause us too much um um distraction here okay so let's start with roy at the very beginning he said we abandon the real and love what's illusion roy must have been making this comment with regards to christmas and the commercialization of modern day christmas it would have been useless for Jesus to have been born in Bethlehem if he is not also born within our heart. It would be useless for him to have died and resurrected in the Holy Land if he does not die and resurrect within us also. Okay, This is the exact quote from Samael Mayor. Thank you, Roy, for, for looking that up and sharing that. Serena says, it's a lot of work to free ourselves from the malware of our own waking sleep. Yes, it is. 
One needs to deprogram and reprogram thoughts all the time. Lots of prayer, humbleness. We also need the help of others through these things. Psychology, healing, coaching, spiritual resistance. In a way. Coaching, yeah, healing, coaching, spiritual resistance in a way. Remember though, Serena, that modern psychology cannot do this work for us. Modern psychology doesn't understand this work. The idea that we can reprogram our brain and reprogram our thinking and reprogram our thoughts is practical on, on one level. But, but on, that, on that level, it, it only appears to be practical. What we need to do is get at the egos underneath. And because let's try to comprehend that when we talk about malware in a computer, we're not talking about reprogramming the computer. We're talking about eliminating the malware, right? If you have malware in a computer that's causing the computer to malfunction and behave in ways which are detrimental, is the answer to reprogram the programs? To uninstall the programs and install different programs? If the computer viruses are still in there, what, what good is it to, to change the programs? So, practical example. Let's say you have a word processor and a computer virus comes onto your computer and converts your word processor into a credit card, uh, a credit card number stealing program. So, so you were using a word processor or you were using, let's say, an, yeah, your word processor program, but now your word processor program is capturing credit card information and sending it off to some, you know, wherever because of this computer virus that's on the computer. And you think, well, my word processor program doesn't work anymore. It's malfunctioning. So I'm going to delete it. And I'm going to install a fresh version of it, or I'm going to install a new version of it, or an updated version of it, or a completely different company's word processor program. And that'll solve the problem. But the underlying malware is still there. And if that malware has been programmed to be adaptable, to be adaptive, that has built in kind of AI algorithms that allows it to adapt to different circumstances, to different programs, to different types of word processors, then, then deleting the old word processor and installing a new word processor might work for a while, but sooner or later, that malware is going to rear its ugly head and it's going to reinfect your new word processor. So on the surface, 
practically speaking, when you're typing away using your word processor and you say, oh my God, my word processor is malfunctioning. Obviously the knee jerk reaction is to uninstall the word processor and reinstall the word and, and, and get a new program, right? To reprogram the computer because it's malfunctioning. But if the cause of the malfunction is malware, the only course of action that is going to provide you lasting results is to run an anti-malware program, which is going to scour your computer searching for the computer virus. And it's going to identify it and it's going to clean it. It's going to remove it. And then all of a sudden, your word processor is going to work again. And the detrimental behaviors that your computer was doing are going to stop because the malware isn't there anymore. It's been removed. That's why we all have antivirus software. If you use a, 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 a Windows machine, you have to have antivirus. So when we talk about elimination of egos, that is what we're doing. Psychology that focuses on surface level behaviors can achieve short-term results. And because everybody's tuned into instant gratification. Everybody wants to see results quickly. I want results now, 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 now. I want to feel better now because we treat mental health like we treat physical health. So we go to the doctor, the doctor gives us medication, the medication eases our symptoms and we feel better. It doesn't matter that perhaps the underlying illness, the underlying disease has in no way, shape or form been addressed. But we feel better, so it's all good. We feel better. We go on with our life now. Take our pills, we feel better, we go on. And that's what psychology is becoming as well. It's, it's becoming psychopharmacology. We, we, if we are on the path, must go deeper. Must go deeper. And we must get at the underlying causes of the mental patterns, the mental beliefs, the, the, all the detrimental things that are going on in the mental programming. And there might be, yeah, there might be conditioning, there might be all sorts of things and habits and whatnot that are going on on the surface level that need to change. For a moment, Roy just posted a relevant comment. So we're going to get to that. We're, we're, we'll come back to your comment in a minute, Seacat. Uh, Roy says, this is the best example you explain, brother. As a retired physician, I can honestly say that unless you are in a serious accident, your best choice of living to a ripe old age is to avoid doctors and hospitals and learn nutrition, herbal medicine, and other forms of natural medicine unless you are fortunate enough to have a naturopathic physician available. Almost all drugs 
are toxic and are designed only to treat symptoms and not to cure anyone. It's a quote from Dr. Alan Greenberg, MD. And it's the same for, again, for our psychology, our mental well-being, our mental health. That's why we're here doing what we're doing. That's why we talk about the alm of life. That's why we're here sharing with you the true meaning of Christmas. Right? Because the Christ cannot be born and the Christ cannot grow and the Christ cannot reign inside of our temple if our temple is full of money lenders the christ the, the christ cannot come and program our computer for us because it's the christ that we want to reprogram our computer not some psychologist not even a coach but for the christ to reprogram our computer the computer has to be clean. It has to be rid of all the malware that will take whatever program that the Christ tries to use through us and it'll pervert it. It'll twist it. It'll corrupt it. The malware is always twisting and corrupting and manipulating. That's what the egos do. They twist, tempt, and corrupt. So we have to get at the heart of the matter. We have to get at our egos. CCAT says, the physical, chemical, and emotional stressors involved in maintaining the all-American successful lifestyle, obsessed with consuming and materialism, and keeping up with the Joneses. These stressors are the root cause of disease in our minds and in our bodies. It's not meant for humans. Where is true connection to others, to spirit, to, and Mother Earth? That lifestyle never fills the hole in our soul. <laughs> we like your double entendre there with the, the hole, W-H-O-L. Absolutely. And, and that's why the Christmas story and the Christmas spirit is what you say here, complete surrender, a death of the old self and reborn anew. This, but this process is a process of rebellion. We must, re we must, we must be revolutionary against all those tendencies and habits and beliefs and conditioning but most importantly, against the identifications and attachments that we have to the notions that this self is who I am, that this is my body, and this is my mind, and this is my emotions. It's interesting, I, we don't know how many of you are familiar with the Christian Mass and the Eucharist and the Last Supper 
because what is very interesting about what's very interesting about Christmas is that Christmas is a time of feasting and so is Easter but Christmas dinner is a special sort of thing and the Easter dinner and then we have this thing called the Last Supper and we'll get to that in just a second but Serena has a comment we'll just pull it up really quick because she says thank you so much for explaining this I agree about the limits of psychology as for when I was mentioning the need to reprogram the mind I really meant adopting the mind of Christ answering our habitual thoughts with thoughts more like what would love do or say in a situation yes but in our experience you see we are we are right now speaking from love we are allowing love to speak through us to you we are allowing christ our intimate innermost essence of the logos do the speaking for us at no point in the hour and 26 minutes that we've been live this evening did we ever stop and say to ourselves okay now what would christ say or to any of the questions that were asked we never stop and ask okay now what would christ say what should i answer to this what's the answer here we don't we don't have to because that's not the process this is not a mental process it is a conscious process. It is extremely difficult to explain and describe. But it's, you know, because you've experienced it yourself. You just haven't observed yourself experiencing it, and so you don't know the difference. But that's why discernment is so important and observing ourselves. So really, it's that's why meditation is so important and learning to, to quiet the mind and learning how to receive. So when you say about adopting a new program, uh, adopting the mind of Christ, it's yes, we allow our mind to be a tool of the Christ. And allow our mind to receive from our innermost intimate Christ. But that allowing can only take place once we've cleaned out a bunch of the crap that's that's constantly getting in the way, that's constantly trying to fill that space with, with gibberish and with worry and with anxiety and with fear and anger and envy and pride and all the rest of it all the all the all of that never-ending cacophony of noise like what's really interesting is that let's come back to the grinch just for a moment you know when the grinch is complaining about why he hates christmas so much and he's complaining about all the kids and their toys and their noisemakers and they have all these 
you know, really interesting Dr. Zeus names, Flamboozles and Gongoozles and all this, you know, and he and he's sitting there holding his head and oh, the noise, the noise, noise, noise. The irony is, is that what he's complaining about is his own ego mind. It's his ego mind that's reacting to all of the trappings of Christmas, to all the celebrations of Christmas. But his, his ego mind is reacting and, and it's, it's judging it all as noise, noise, noise. But that's all, that's all of our ego minds. That's all that the ego mind is capable of creating for us is noise, noise, noise. So what do we do? We seek, we seek distraction. We seek escapism. We seek pleasures. We seek all sorts of ways of getting away from that noise, which is what, by the way, easily we could say 90% of people who practice spirituality and so-called meditation, that's all they're looking for. That's all they want. They just want a little escapism from the noise of their own ego mind, of their suffering. So they'll go to a spa, they'll go to a yoga retreat, they'll go and they'll, they'll smoke their marijuana or they'll take their psychedelics or they'll go and listen to their meditation CDs at 444 hertz or whatever the whatever megahertz or gigahertz or whatever frequency is is they're they're into that week or that month and they'll they'll just they'll space out they'll they'll wait until their mind quiets down they'll do whatever and then you know and then they'll they'll get up from their meditation and go ah oh, yeah i'm so spiritual or they'll come back from their hatha yoga class and they'll go oh yeah i'm so spiritual or they'll come back from their spiritual retreat and they'll be pumped as to how spiritual they are. And they'll talk about doing shadow work and they'll talk about all this kind of stuff. But do they talk about sacrificing themselves and dying for the newborn Christ within? They talk about Christ consciousness all the time. Christ consciousness this and Christ consciousness that. But they don't know even remotely what that means. And they don't know even remotely its nature. The nature of the Christ. So what is the nature of the Christ? Let's go back to speaking of the the last supper because again the, the the nature of the christ is the story of the christ the complete story of jesus we can't take one little snippet out and say this is christmas no no christmas is the whole story of the christ and at the last supper christ said he took the loaf and he broke the loaf 
and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which will be given up for you. And then again, he took the cup, the grail, that famous holy grail, the cup. And he raised and he blessed it. And he raised it and he said, this is my blood. It will be shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. And he said, do this in memory of me. He's giving the Last Supper as a ritual, as a rite, to remind us of the nature of the Christ. Christ is sacrifice. How does anybody, anybody propose that they will be somehow embodying Christ consciousness without sacrifice, without sacrificing themselves. How is that even possible when the very nature of Christ is sacrifice? The Christ is sacrifice. This is my body, he says. It will be given up for you. This is my blood. It will be shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. I will suffer, Jesus said. I will suffer and die for you and for all. I'm going to go through a kind of suffering that few have endured. And I'm going to do it so I can renegotiate the karma for this humanity. We talked about that the last, the last live stream. We were talking about negotiation of karma and that some karma can be forgiven. And that, that, that Christ made that possible. Jesus came. Master Abramento made that possible through his suffering and his sacrifice for humanity. Yes, but it's easy to say you are love and become love. But what is that? What does that mean? Love is severity and mercy. Okay, and we can comprehend the love of our Divine Mother. Severity and mercy. Okay. But the Christ is the severity of the Christ. The love of the Christ is a severity directed at oneself. For the, for the sake of mercy, for the sake of others. You can understand Christ as being love, but that's not Christ. It's not enough to say love. Because first of all, Christ is the fire of fire and the light of lights, the being of beings. Christ is the second logos. Okay, Christ is in action. It is the omnipresent ray of Akitanak. It is the logos, the word of God. Christ is the word of God, the logos. 
The word is sound, vibration, action. The Christ is kinetic. The Christ is, yes, it's being, but it's being in action. It's in constant motion. It is a active, vibrant, revolutionary force. It is the fire of fires. It is, it is a kind of love that it is every superhero. It is every mythological hero. It is the love which cannot sit idly by while others suffer. It must do all that it can. It must give away all that it has. And it must be all that it is. Forget Christ consciousness as some vague anything or a feeling of love or what. We're talking about an intensity, a ferocity. We're talking about a ray, the ray of rays. The experience of the Christ is unlike any that the mind can even remotely begin to imagine. Forget it. You cannot do it. You cannot understand the Christ. It is impossible. Any vague, any idea, any concept that you have in your, in your head of the Christ, forget it. And we're not trying to be rude and we're not trying to belittle you or make you feel small. We're just being factual. And how can we say this? And how can we speak this with absolute authority? Have you read our poem, Touched by the Christ? That poem which was so difficult for us to write because it doesn't even begin to remotely express or capture the experience of it, of being touched by the Logos. It cannot even begin to, to, to impart on the reader what it was like, what the nature of the Christ is. Yes, it is love, but it's love unlike any love that any of us can fathom. It is, it is, it's, it's beyond expression. It truly is. I mean, we can say it's the ode to joy played by a thousand orchestras and a hundred million angels in a choir singing the ode to joy. And, and 
it, that just that doesn't begin to capture what the Christ is. So this talk of Christ consciousness and, and people's use of this word and, and throwing it around, The Christmas tree is an illuminated tree of life. A fully illuminated tree of life. That means that our upper trinity is fully illuminated. That means we are awake, not just in the sixth dimension, but the seventh dimension. That we have embodied and we have, we have, we are a living God. This is, this is, um, Well, I mean, it is what it is. At the end of the day, that's all we can say. Because all words fail us. All expressions fail us. All graphics fail us. All we have is the... the intensity of walking on the surface of the sun. As, as and the the heat and intensity and gravitas of of that experience and as Serena says here it is beyond human comprehension to hold in mind both life and death reconciled in victory over death through the death of God made human symbol can pack so much more information than even the most abstract concepts Seacat says, my bad, I will read your poem. I do feel like I've been touched by the Christ. It changed me forever. There are levels and levels and levels. And in many ways, every spiritual experience is... related to our pursuit and our journey towards self-realizing our innermost intimate Christ. And rest assured, we have had many such experiences. But there is one experience that we've had which is the only experience, despite having many shamadi in many different ways, many different forms, many, let's say, let's put that in quotation marks because we don't want to give you the wrong impression here. 
We're not talking daily. We don't have a we don't have shamadi daily or weekly or monthly. We're talking about many in terms of the fact that we've been alive for 48 years and we had our first shamadi at the age of five. So put that with that time frame and in that context, we can still have had many. But as we expressed in one of the lectures, we had to wait 20 years between our first shamadi and our second shamadi. We had 20 year gap from the age of five to about 25. There's about 20 years gap in there. So with that understanding, there's only one experience that we have, have had, which we refer to in this way. And uh, there's the link in the in the chat if you haven't read it yet. So we've never read this out loud uh, online. We don't we don't know if this would help. Um, We're not even sure we could get through it without breaking down, breaking down in tears. But we could try, we could try, since this seems to be where we're headed anyway. And perhaps we can, perhaps in the reading of it, we can muster up some of the intensity that we experienced in the moment. We shall see. We shall see. Time, the time matters not, nor the day, nor date, nor weather outside, neither the catalyst. There was one from ancient Egypt, Sitting on the couch, surfing the web, we googled the edicts of Luxor, commandments of the Hermetic Mystery Schools. This was our catalyst. Not a catalyst. Not a reminder even. A wake-up call from the Absolute. It begins. Heart chakra swells. Two, four, eight, no, 80 times in size. 8,000 times in depth. Is it a heart attack? Strength fails. iPad falls. Mind blanks. And then, without hesitation, love enters us. Love as we have never known it. A tsunami bursts forth from within. We slip from the couch to the floor, this feeble, animated corpse, helpless and powerless in the light of this love, love of loves, light of lights. Would our body temple were, would our body temple were made of stone, great blocks would be bursting from our sides. 
such as this wellspring. No, geyser of love, exploding yet sustaining, imploding yet enduring. No tsunami, no geyser, no eternal fountain. A star has gone supernova. A sun is in our chest. The sun is in our heart. The Christ has come to visit. And it burns with the fire of fires, shines with the light of lights. From behind my cold eyes, I see it beaming, brought forth from the great treasury of the light. And I am blinded to all but its glory. Heart wells up, throat chokes up, eyes wide shut. We are a fetus curled up in the womb, welled up, ready to burst. Walled up in our tiny apartment, at any moment now, it too will burst, just as sure as we will, and we do, burst. Tears pour from behind sealed eyelids, and we cry out in wailing agony of pure joy. Oh God, oh God, oh God, we thank thee, we thank thee, we thank thee. Oh Divine Mother, Isis, Shakti, blessed, holy, loving, blessed, holy, loving, blessed, holy, loving. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No reprieve, no halt in the torrent. No pause in the fusion, diaphragm, trampolines, and our gut is love-punched drunk into exhaustion. Heart beats our max into dust, our body registering on the Richter scale, skin soaked in a soup of sweat and tears, and still the love is there, swelling and collapsing, erupting and imploding, boiling magma plumes in our chest, illuminates us with the light of lights, and we are completely helpless to resist, pathetically incapable of containing, let alone hosting, even the essence of the presence of our guest, the Most High, the Christos Force, He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest. Thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, thy will be done, thy will be done. So be it. So be it, so be it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh God, we thank you. It goes on like this. And eternity passes with an infinite ball of burning love in our chest. And we observe ourselves filthy and unworthy of this guest in our house. We have no three kings to greet our Savior cometh among the barnyard cubby of our animal mind? What gifts can we offer but the filth of our minds, the pain in our hearts, and the stress in our body? What precious offerings can we make to Christ our Lord cometh? Yet still, all we feel is eternal love and gratitude. There is no shame to speak of here and now. We are incapable of that shadowy pride. Our egos have fled to the darkest corners of our mind. Those wasps flew from the flame of flames, and our heart cries out only with the joy of joys. It is what it is, and that is all. It is what it is, and that is all. It is what it is, and that is all. I am that I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. Eheye asher eheye. Eheye asher eheye. Eheye asher eheye. O oh God, O oh God, O oh God, thy will be done, thy will be done, thy will be done. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
It, in, it continues, endures, sustains, awakens, exalts, praises, sings. The ode to joy played by a thousand orchestras, sung by a million angels, blaring in our heart mind, resonating through our being, rings forth the truth of truths no mortal man can describe. The love of loves no mortal man can know. How could he, when here we are but touched by it, overcome by the glory of glories, crumpled in an, an, in an ecstatic heap by the joy of joys and the bliss of bliss? With naught but a drop of its limitless light, we are bawling our eyes out, crying our heart out, wailing with the agony of eternal happiness. We are reduced to a blithering child. So weak are we in the wake of the resplendence of resplendence. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Pater noster, Pater noster, Pater noster, Ave Maria, Ave Maria. Ave Maria. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Hallelujah. 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 It goes on like this some more. Gloria in excelsior, majesty, magnificence, rejuvenation and resplendence give way to mercy and freedom. And we are released in mercy and love. Our visit is at an end. Our exhausted and spent self lies helpless on the floor. And still, we can only pray and thank and feel. The residual heat and light and love from our cosmic visitation, our heavenly house guest, who came forth from the boundless nothingness into our hearts to touch us, give us but a taste, and let us drink from the fountain of sweet ambrosia, dip our toe into the ocean of love that glows with his golden blue light, the light of lights, the light of Christ, who was in the beginning, is now, and shall be. May he come again to judge the living, these wretched eyes who pollute our temple, and the dead, those wretched souls suffering in hell itself. So be it, so be it, so be it. Amen, amen, amen. This experience that what we tried to capture here in this poem, everything that's in quotation marks is what were the words coming out of us during this experience. Everything we spoke, we spoke in threes. Just, just, it's just, everything we said, we said three times. 
and everything was coming just through us, out of us. And we were literally crumpled up on the floor as we described. Um, we do not it's not that we take offense at individuals who or the new age or new agers or when people throw around this word this term christ consciousness it's not about that it's not about that we take offense to it it's that it's one limits oneself and one limits One limits oneself if one tries to reduce the majesty of what we're talking about here, of the experience of, of this, of, of There's nothing else that comes, there, there's nothing else that can compare. So Seacat says, okay, so she, she says, very beautiful, I have felt this, your poem. I became very infant-like when I surrendered who I was to Christ. Every experience that we have, and if every experience we have is setting us further along the path, and that path is a path of death, and Death is a process of sacrifice. The two are related. Ultimately, you can see in this day and age, the materialist scientists trying to cheat death. They're looking for the fountain of youth in genetics, in pharmaceuticals, in so-called transhumanism there are those who honestly believe that they will be able to transfer their consciousness 
into a, a computer system. And that they will be able to live forever by doing so. But all of this is the ego's way of trying to be Christ-like while avoiding the three factors that are necessary to become like Christ. Those three factors are death of the ego, birth of the human soul, and sacrifice for humanity. There is no avoiding that. There is no avoiding it. If someone wants to attain Christ consciousness, then they must set themselves on the path of psychological death, to die before they die. And more than that, they must set themselves upon the sacrificial altar. They must... They must... promise to serve Christ. On Friday, we talked about negotiating karma. We talked about what that looks like. And we also shared with you our experience of making a promise to our own innermost being and Divine Mother about coming to the realization that this life, this mission that we were on, that we were not qualified to live it, that the challenges we faced were too great for me so I, I said, you, I, I hand over the reins to you, my innermost. And, and if you get me out of the hell that I'm in, then I'll pledge myself to you from here on out. Because clearly, I'm not qualified. And I told this story and just reiterating it again, because that's... Everything which has unfolded for us has simply been like Seacat. The word that she uses here is surrender. 
in our in the poem that we just shared with you it's not that we became childlike in that experience we say we were reduced to a blithering child in the curled up in the fetal position on the floor in a pool of sweat and tears that's not flowery flowery language that's what actually happened we were made brutally aware of just how unqualified and unworthy we are or Perhaps we were at that stage in our life. This was not so long ago that this this experience occurred that we record that we uh, that we uh, documented in that poem. After all, it was not so long ago that we began to do these live streams. It's only been since August. But we are here as the last, our last uh, uh, talk before Christmas. Because we have a gift to give you in helping you to see the Christ Mass to amass Christ within. And see what Christmas is really all about. There's another film that is very famously associated with this time of year and that's it's a it's a wonderful life and um that of course stars jimmy jimmy stewart and the story of i can't can't remember the the character's name but he's about to throw himself off a bridge because his bank there's been a run on the bank and uh, uh he can't he can't uh um the bank has gone bust and he can't pay the uh the depositors their their money and so and he's about to throw his his life away and then an angel appears his guardian angel and walks him through his life and and shows him all of these moments where he made a difference in the lives of others and of course it's the whole purpose of it is that 
Jimmy Stewart's character has a transformation and he realizes his life hasn't been a waste. He's, he's, it's been a, it's been a wonderful life and that it's worth continuing. Master Samael has said once, there is nothing more beautiful than a life intensely lived. Our experience of the Christ, which we attempted to convey in that poem, is is reflected in our experience of our life. And intensity is the word that, the word that is most commonly used by others to describe us, intense. Whether we were on stage way back in university in our 20s and our early 30s, in stage and television, whatever. Whether it was in our live presentations, whether it doesn't matter. What the 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 word that has been most used by others to describe us is intense. And that's because we have that that fire, we feel that fire that fire of fire inside and we bring it to everything that we do. And so when we were at last given an opportunity to experience that fire unfiltered, raw, if you will, if that's kind of a crude word, but it really was like taking a pair of alligator clips and clipping them on the main line of a, of a power station it really was like touching the surface of the sun. And if there's one word that we can use to describe what that experience was, it was the intensity of it, the intensity, the intensity of that love. You know how, even in this commercialized version of Christmas, you know how there's this last minute rush to run out and get get, uh, get gifts and there's this there's something there's this like panic that sets in even in this even in this over commercialized version of christmas there's always a, the last minute running around and wrapping especially with men i mean i think typically men are more stereotypically like this they leave everything to the last minute in terms of shopping because generally speaking men don't like to shop but 
somehow, somehow, that intensity is still alive. Even in this overly commercialized, uh, spiritually sanitized, you know, religious, dogmatic, superstitious, whatever you want to call it, holiday, but you know yourself, if you forgot somebody on, on your list or, or you still have someone that you love and you, you, you have this gift that you need to get for them, They even made silly films like about this. There was one with Arnold Schwarzenegger called Jingle All the Way, where he has to find some stupid toy for his son, some action figure, some hero, whatever hero doll. And and the entire film, it's this, this, this silly, silly comedy where he's going through hell to try to get this toy for his son for Christmas. But it's this intensity about it. There's an intensity about this holiday. Have you seen what some people, the lengths that some people go to to decorate their, their houses? or to decorate their interiors, or to decorate their Christmas tree, there are people that cannot put their automobile into their garage because their garage is filled with Christmas decorations. Now, a cynical person might say, yes, but, but what does that have to do with embodying Christ and how all those Christmas decorations and all that garland and nativity scenes and everything else, that's a distraction. And that's a misdirection of the Christmas spirit. The true Christmas spirit is to decorate ourselves with the light of Christ, with the intensity of Christ and to redecorate ourselves and transform ourselves with the light of lights and the garland and illuminate our tree of life and, and create the nativity inside of us, the birth of Christ inside of us, right? Of course, the cynic can say that. Of course, the Gnostic can say that. But what of one who is not on the path? What of one who is still sound asleep, who doesn't know anything about Gnosis, doesn't know anything about what we're talking about here, They still feel the intensity. They can still feel the burning deep down. And all they know how to do, all they can do with it, is to express that intensity however they can express it. Some people bake. You know people like this. Come December whatever, whatever date it begins, comes there 14 days of baking or 12 days of baking or, or seven days of baking. 
and it's cookies and it's cakes and it's shortbread and it's you name it. And everything is impeccably decorated. And they have Santas and Christmas trees and, and, and stars and elves and little baby Jesus and you name it. Intensity, love. And they're expressing it the only way they know how. At their level of being, that's what they can do at their level of being. Who am I to judge that? But we can feel it. We can see it. We can hear it. In those, in those Christmas concerts or on the radio when we hear all the Christmas music. We listen to a classical music station here in Ontario and, and the, around this time they play Christmas music and in the voices of the musicians singing those Christmas carols. And some of the greatest performances you will ever hear are when musicians sing Christmas carols, Christmas music. Or if you go, or if you go watch a performance of Handel's Messiah, And sure, a cynical person might say, yeah, but that's just Christmas carols and blah, 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 and this and that. Everybody is at whatever level that they are at. Sure, maybe they're, they are busy to put outside because they are asleep. Whatever you want to say, we don't, we don't look down on anyone. We don't. And we don't look down on Christmas. We don't look down on any Christmas tradition or expression. If someone wants to, to, to cover their house in, in 100,000 Christmas lights, more power to them. They are experiencing and feeling an intensity at their level and we know what that's like we know the nature of the christ we know its nature it is intensity the christ must do what it can do and it must be what it can be and it must give what it can give and if somebody at their level of consciousness if all they can think of to do to celebrate Christmas and to bring joy to the world is that they're going to light up the neighborhood with, with a hundred thousand uh, uh, Christmas lights. And that's their contribution to their, to their neighborhood, to their community. That's them bringing a little joy to the world. Then who am I to judge that? Who am I to say, no, you're wrong. That's not what Christmas is about. That is what Christmas is about. Because the nature of the Christ is to give of itself. To give all that it is and do all that it can to be all that it is.
Serena says, this makes sense. In my family growing up, there was always fighting and drama on Christmas Eve. I still wonder why. I know that it, I know that is intensity unable to express differently. I was meditating on this today because I love Christmas. I'm working to establish my own ritual, welcoming it. Like, for example, waiting for the sunrise, sunrise from above in prayer. Heightened emotions, heightened intensity, fighting with our family. You, how, why is it, we all experience this, right? Why is it that we have the most terrible fights with the people that we love the most? Yeah? Seacat said earlier, the nature of the Christ is love. Well, we feel the intensity of that love Sometimes we feel it the most when we are fighting with the people we love, family, spouse, right? Isn't it interesting? Because the energy, the fire is there. It's the problem is when an ego filters it, right? An ego gets in the way. So, so what happens is, if you have the pure intensity of light, imagine for a moment looking into a film projector. Looking into a film projector as the light shines on your face. Okay? And you have this intensity of the, the light that's shining at you. And if you turn around and you look at the screen, the screen is going to be pure white, right? Because it's just the white light coming from the projector. But as soon as you put a film in there, all of a sudden, the intensity of the light is still there. But now it's projecting this image, this film, this, this story, this drama. All of a sudden, this drama is being projected on the screen. The intensity of the light has not changed. It's still the same intensity of light. The amount of light coming through is a little different. And it's modified. It's subjected. It's subjective. And we all have emotional reactions to what's on the screen, to what's being projected. And so too do our loved ones. And because our loved ones are in our karmic family and they, they, they share with us many of the same egos, they share many of us many of the same energetic attributes. So of course, we're going to trigger each other very easily, very quickly with that intensity. So those dramas become overblown. And at Christmas time, the energies are that much more intense. They're intensified. And there's another reason, esoteric reason, why that is so. And if you'll give us just a moment, we will... Uh, here it is. 
this is something we can't take credit for any of this. This comes uh, directly from Samael Ambayor. We never knew this until we read it. However, it lends credence to what we've been talking about in terms of the intensity of the Christ and the energies. So I'm going to read this. Santa Claus represents an energy that comes every year through the North Pole, which is the solar light. The Aztecs celebrated this event in ancient times. They always used three colors in order to invoke that energy. However, they did not call it Santa Claus. They called it Quetzalcoatl or Ometecutl. Ometecutli, sorry. And other different names according to their relation to the forces of nature. In order to invoke those forces of the north, during special rituals, they burned powder made from corals or seashells, mainly with the colors red, white, and black, which are the main colors that appear in the vesture of Santa Claus. Red, white, and black represent the different activities of that solar energy when it enters through the North Pole. The red is the living energy of the sun. The white is the purity, the intelligence of that solar force. The black symbolizes when that energy in, enters into the hydrogen, into the carbon, into any element of the earth. It becomes black, meaning that it is enclosed like in the charcoal. But when you light a charcoal, then the solar light is liberated and you call it fire. So that fire, that solar light is within the air, within the water, within the earth, within all of the elements. This is what we call Christ. The main source is the North Pole through which it descends into this matter, which is a Latin word for mother, mother earth. What are the qualities of Santa Claus? Right? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. And he brings gifts to those who've been good. He comes from the North Pole, the Christic force coming from the North Pole. The Logos, of which the lords of karma and Anubis are one. So they who are the keepers of the great law and that intelligence of the Logos, they know everything. And they know our level of being and they know our karma. But Christmas is a time of miracles. But that energy, that intensity, that is the Christ. That is the Christ. So we've all felt it and we all feel it, but at our level. And unfortunately... If we allow our egos to get out in front of it, 
then we filter it and we project with that intensity the drama and the story that's on the film of that particular ego. So, unfortunately, you see examples of this when you look to any charismatic leader like Joel Olstein or any of those Southern Baptist preachers where they, they're, they're preaching with this intensity where there it's it's this or look at the speeches of hitler and we can speak with with knowledgeably about what they're doing and when you have crowds when you have an audience and they're all directing their attention at you they're directing their consciousness they're directing their energy at you you harness that as a performer we learn how to do that as a stage actor as a performer as a musician as any type of performing artist any type of performing artist no matter what type of performing artist you are you're really a sculptor of energy that's what you're doing you're sculpting energy and you're shaping consciousness that's what you're doing in real time. The same way a potter spins clay on a wheel and shapes and forms it in real time, a performance artist does that with the energy of their audience. And the bigger the audience, the more intensity they can bring to their performance. And if their performance is, is, is designed to be hypnotic, if their performance is designed to be manipulating, well, magic is magic, but there's white magic and black magic. And the line that separates those two is airline. It's not this vast gulf that people like to imagine. It's a hairline. And it's that subtle at times, the difference. But that's all it takes to be or not to be. It doesn't, there is no vast gulf between to be or not to be. It's to be or not to be. And there's a hairline separating to be or not to be. And perhaps that's why the Christ moves with such intensity. The word willpower itself in the, in the sixth dimension, the human soul, is, is, a, is a fractional expression of the intensity of the Christ but at the human level the willpower 
the will of God, the will of our innermost being as expressing through us. But the intensity of the Christ, again, comes back to the three factors. And sacrifice. The, the Christ is in motion. The Christ is the word the Logos, the living, breathing Word of God, the Word must be spoken. Right? The Word, what good is the Word if it's not spoken? What good is a Word if it is not heard? So why is a Word spoken if not to be heard? Who hears the Word? if not the other. So, like a songwriter who's compelled to write the song and compelled to play the song and compelled to play the song for others. And he... And, the, and the, the musician feels that compulsion intensely. They have to do this. They have to. They won't be complete. They won't be alive. They won't feel themselves. They will be some, some half-baked version of, the, of 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 themselves if they don't if they don't fulfill this this deep compulsion that burns they're feeling the intensity of the Christ why because it's something they have to give of themselves to others they have to create it and they have to give it away they have, to, they have to play it for others. They have to give it away. All of us have felt that in some way, shape, or form. Even if it's, I have to put my Christmas decorations out. I have to do it. Or I have to make Christmas dinner for my family and it has to be perfect. It just has to be. Or it has to be as perfect as I can make it. It has to be the best Christmas dinner that, that they've ever had or that I've ever done. Or it's just, it it's just has to be. It, there's, the, there's that intensity. That intensity is a beautiful thing. Especially when we are true to its will. And the suffering and sacrifice that we are, that are unfolding in, in expressing that intensity, in 
working with that intensity and allowing that intensity to work through us. The sacrifice of our blood, sweat, and tears into the end result, which we are doing for the sake of others. This is a beautiful thing. This is what Christmas is really all about. It doesn't matter, you know, giving gifts or this or that. How you express it is how you express it. But the point is to express it, to feel it, to connect with it. Because that is the Christ being born in the manger amidst the animal egos. That intensity, that spark. It just takes a spark. In a manger, it only takes a spark to start a fire. Right? So, so... Christmas time is a beautiful opportunity to feel that, to feel the Christ. And do your best. Do your best not to allow the intensity to end in arguments with your family. Do your best not to allow the intensity to end in frivolous activities. Do your best to feel into and surrender to the will that is coming packaged with that intensity. And if you have any doubts or if you have any uncertainty or you lack the clarity. You feel the intensity. You just don't know how to apply it. Meditate. Pray. You've all seen a nativity scene. You all know what that looks like. If you don't know what that looks like, Google is there at your disposal. Do a Google's image search for a nativity scene. It's very simple. You have Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus in the middle. And above, and it's you're in a manger, you're in a stable. Okay, so you can throw a few animals in there if you want. And high above, there's a star and or maybe an angel nearby. And if you want, you can throw in the three wise men bringing their gifts to the baby Jesus. That's it. That is quite enough to meditate on. But you can also meditate on a Christmas tree. You can meditate on a Christmas tree. Why not? Why not meditate on a Christmas tree? Because the, the Christmas tree is the tree of life. And the garland is... The ray of Akitanak, the garland is 
the garland is the Christ. No, I don't know why it's not. Uh, oh, there we go. This is showing the Christ rising back. We showed you this um, a couple of uh, Right? So the, the Christic force descends from the absolute in this pattern, and it returns the same way, right? When we, the Kundalini rises. And that's all we were showing on the slide. But you can meditate on... You can meditate on the actual tree of life of Kabbalah, or just meditate on a on a Christmas tree. Why not? Relax, concentrate, visualize the Christmas tree, and pray. Pray to your innermost. Pray to your innermost being, and pray to the being of of beings. Pray to your innermost intimate Christ, the essence, the spark. And if you are the tree of life, if you are the Christmas tree, and the garland is the Christ, the star at the top is the absolute, the Keter, your father, the Logos. So visualize yourself starting out as just a green Christmas tree. And start and start dressing. Start trimming the tree. Start dressing it with 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 baubles and 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 wrap wrap it in garland, in your in your imagination, in your visualization, in your meditation, and pray. Pray for guidance. Pray for insight. Pray for information. And have patience. This is not a activity of exertion, but it is an activity of intensity. You can meditate intensely without exerting yourself, which is a very strange thing to say. It may seem counterintuitive, but you, you can experience that. So, for example, you can concentrate intensely and not overexert yourself. And then you will know how to apply the intensity and how to make the most of the holidays and And what's more, how to make every day Christmas. Because the opportunity and the special time of year that is now, just as Easter time, just as any of the festive seasons around the calendar, 
it's always an opportunity for us to strengthen our commitment to our own innermost intimate Christ. And if this evening we have brought you some information and shared with you some experience to help you intensify your appreciation and expand your understanding and appreciation for what Christmas is. And then then we're grateful for having that opportunity. And we hope that you can take what we shared with you and we hope that you can apply it and bring forth all that you have and all that you are and gift it to all whom you love this Christmas over these holidays. And may that light shine forth through you and with you for all around you to receive. That would be our wish for you, not just for the holidays, but for the, for the whole coming new year and beyond. Does anyone have any questions or other comments or anything to share? There's one other thing we could talk about briefly. Oh, yes. Well, you know what? We didn't talk about... We didn't talk about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We all know this one, don't we? Do you all know this? Um, you all know the story and you all know this animation? The Rankin and Bass animation? And the song, right? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to slay. Say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then all the reindeer loved him, and they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you'll go down in history. And they made the, the the animation. This this is a story about misfits. This is a story about misfits who are outcasts because they're different. But what makes them different is that they have powers. They have abilities. 
And when push comes to shove and when Santa needs their help, they're the ones who end up saving the day. And they transform the world of the, of the North Pole. They transform the world of Santa. And they save Christmas, these misfits. It's fair to say that anyone who's following the intensity of the Christ and is following the path, uh, they, they, they could very easily fall into the categories of, of, a, of a Rudolph. And it's one of these cases where, you know, we, we have to journey for a long, 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 long time being unappreciated and being judged by others who do not understand, but they cannot understand. They cannot understand us. And as we continue moving forward, this, this film, this little tale of Rudolph will have more and more relevance. Benjamin says, thank you, sir, for sharing your precious knowledge about the important symbolism and meaning of Christmas. When you shared your story earlier, it reminds me of the song, The Little Drummer Boy, when he felt he has nothing to offer to our Jesus, to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's another Thank you for sharing that, Benjamin, because that's another that's another good Christmas story. I have no gift for you. But what I can do is play my drum for you if you'll let me. And there is nothing more that the Christ can ask of us, nor would he, than for us to be what we are, for us to be who we are, but truly who we are. And that's what, that's what this film is about. Rudolph is what he is. The, the, the elf here who wants to be a dentist, he, he is what he is. He's not, he doesn't want to make toys. He wants to be a dentist. And everybody, all the characters. And having the faith to stay true to that. Having the faith to stay true to ourselves. You recall to fit in, Rudolph covered his 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 shiny nose. He he, for he co covers it in in coal or mud. Can't remember which, but he co he he covers up his shiny nose to try to fit in with the other reindeer. But then of course it gets it falls off and his nose starts glowing, and then 
you know, his cover is blown, so to speak. But the but it's a little children's parable, a little children's story, but it it teaches us so much, so profoundly about what the Christ and what Christmas is really about. It's just intensely living our lives, living a life of intensity, living a life from that place of intensity inside and allowing that light to shine through us with that intensity through whatever means that it that 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 is within us for it to do so for a musician if we're a baker if we're a construction worker a carpenter a cleaning person for a janitor right you can live a life of intensity doing whatever it is that you do whenever it is that you're doing it You're, you're making breakfast for your family on New Year's Day. Why not make it the best breakfast you've ever had or they've ever had? It doesn't have to be fancy. Just allow the light, the love, the intensity to flow into and through whatever you're doing into the world. And people will feel it. Not everyone will appreciate it. Not everyone will see it. Not everyone will feel it. Not everyone will appreciate it. You have to be prepared for that. But you also can't care about that. That's not why you're doing it. You're not doing it to be appreciated, right? You're not doing it for you. You're doing it for them. When you give someone a gift, you're giving them a gift because you want them to enjoy it. And they can do with it whatever they want. And if they want to take it and re-gift it, if they want to take it and throw it away, if they want to take it and sell it, if they want to take it back and get a refund, you should not care. You gave of yourself, and now it's out of your hands. Christmas is a time of year for us to harness the intensity of this time of year to get a really solid feeling for what that's like. And then make a commitment, make a promise. Give, become a wise man and say, I'm going to make every effort to make every single day, every single moment of every single day Christmas morning. For the next year, I am going to be an illuminated Christmas tree, trimmed in ornaments and garland 
with a five-pointed star upright atop my head on the crown chakra. And everywhere I go, I'm going to have, I'm going to be surrounded by gifts, which I'm going to hand out. Or you can say, I'm going to be Santa Claus. Every single moment of every single day for the next year. And I'm going to focus and be aware of when I'm being bad and good and when other people around me are being bad and good. I'm going to try to identify those who are sleeping and those who are awake. And I'm going to give the gifts that I have to give to everyone that I can. And those who are sleeping, I'm going to do what I can to try to help them awaken. But bring Christmas, the intensity, the love, the movement, the word, that word is action, sacrifice, birth, death, and sacrifice. The three factors. Bring that with you into the new year. And every day, every moment, every opportunity into the new year. And your life will begin to change. Your life will begin to transform because you will be transforming. The old you that is looking for things, that is expecting things, that is waiting for things, that is demanding life give to you and is expecting, what can I get? What can I take? What I need, what I want. Those, those thoughts can't persist. Those thoughts can't persist in a space of love where you are looking at every opportunity, how you can give of yourself and how you can bring into the world that which is within you, burning inside of you. What I want, can't that, that phrase, what I want, cannot coincide with what I have to give unless it's all I want is to give all that I can. That's the only thing that I want. You can't want to receive while you're wanting to give. Those two things are incompatible. They don't, they just don't, you just stop, you just stop thinking about one when you're Focused on the other. So, you want to attune yourself into Christ consciousness? Be a wise man. Begin by giving your gifts of your mind, heart, and body to your innermost intimate Christ, the one who is born, being born amidst the animal egos of your manger mind and heart and body. Begin there. And when you feel the intensity and the burning of what you have to give to others, 
serve that. Serve it. Serve others. Give to others. And your life will... And make a commitment in meditation and prayer to do so. Make every day Christmas Day. And what you will discover is if you are also observing yourself, observing your egos, observing your weaknesses, your defects and vices, what you will discover is not only will every day become more and more like Christmas Day, your life will begin to start reflecting more and more the essence of Easter. And the more that, that this happens, the more you experience this and feel this and recognize it, the more you begin living your life like Christ, the more you will be Christ-like. And the more you will know what they call Christ consciousness and the more you will become intimately connected with and one with the nature of the Christ at whatever level that you are at and then you will begin to rise you will start going to the next level and the next level and the next level. It's inevitable. If no one has any more questions or comments, then we're going to sign off and bid you all from the bottom of our heart, the warmest wishes for a beautiful Christmas with your family, your friends, loved ones, and with all of our hearts, may the light of Christ shine forth from within you and fill the hearts of all those whom you touch with your voice, with your actions. And um, we don't, we will try to have another live stream again uh, between Christmas and New Year's. We can't promise anything because we have family coming on Monday. So we're not sure when the next live stream. We don't know if we'll get one in before New Year's, but we'll we'll see. Um, stay tuned, as they they like to say. But for sure, a hundred percent, there's no live stream on Friday night because, uh, being European, our Christmas is Christmas Eve. That's when we do our Christmas thing. So we can't be doing a live stream on Christmas Eve for obvious reasons because we're going to be doing our our family Christmas stuff. So um, all the best. 
Merry Christmas to you and to and to all whom you care about. And uh, we hope to see you again soon. Um, you're welcome, Eric. Thank you for thank you for being here. And Serena, thank you so much. All the best. Inverential peace and Merry Christmas, everyone.